I think it's safe to say I'm something of a cinephile. I would study IMDb like it's the Bible and break down films and TV shows scene by scene to figure out if and why they worked. All that to say, I think I have a fair taste in my recommendations, which is a not-so-smooth segue to recommend a TV show that has genuinely impressed me, my entire family, and practically everybody who stumbles upon it in the recommendation feeds on Apple TV. Ted Lasso. And for a huge chunk of the show, I perceived it as a very charming, very light, and very heartwarming series. As my mother described it, it's the first feel-good show I've seen in a long time that's actually good. But the biggest turning point for me that made Ted Lasso one of my favorite shows of all time was a scene that involved the titular character quote-unquote white knighting for his employer at a bar through a game of darts against the employer's ex-husband, who had bought stakes in the soccer league he lost in the divorce and was basically trying to use business tactics to get his ownership back. So, Ted makes a deal with him. If Ted wins, he can't go anywhere near the owner's box. If the ex-husband, Rupert, wins, he could pick the starting line of the last two games of the football season. After watching Ted throw darts like they were allergic to the board, the deal's on. Rupert then pulls out his own personal collection of darts, saying that he forgot he had them on his person. Ted responds by throwing and hitting a bullseye almost blindly, and countering with, And I forgot I'm left-handed. The game gets close. Real close. So close that in order to win, Ted has to land two triple twenties and a bullseye. From my understanding in difficulty terms, that's like getting a hole-in-one in golf. But as he does so, Ted gives probably my favorite monologue ever as he lines up his shots. You know, Rupert, I gotta do it with a crappy version of the accent. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I've got to. Guys like you have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. Then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, Be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. He throws the dart and lands on a triple 20. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas, they used to belittle me. Not a single one of them were curious, you know? They thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything, and they judged everyone, and I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it, because if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know. Questions like, you've played a lot of darts, Ted? He throws the second dart, another triple 20. The bar's eagerness elevates, which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to when I was 16 when he passed away. The bar gets quiet. He lines up and says almost under his breath just before throwing, barbecue sauce. And he sticks the bullseye. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home A podcast memoir by M.K. Lott Chapter 37, The Housemate. By the time I was about two years into college, 
it was time to make the transition from the dorms to off-campus housing. It's an interesting move for a lot of people because it's really the first time many of us learn what it's like to apply for and sustain our lives by renting a house, or at least a room of a house. A good word to the wise for those curious to figure out how to do this for the first time is to find a room in a house filled with people you know. It was a no-brainer of sorts once I was introduced to it by two friends I would deem the fanatics. One was a film fanatic, and the other was a basketball fanatic, though both could have easily fit that category. Their landlord had decided that the best way to make a little more money was to build a fifth room inside the home that was already pretty much overpopulated, but when you start running out of places to go, you don't question the financial ethics of it. They showed me the office I would need to submit my application to. I did so with the same nervousness I had when I would take a final exam, and at that point I could only hope and pray that I had what it took to be accepted into the lowest income housing I still know of to this day. Come to think of it, this is all I really knew at the time. So, I tended to my exam studies, while I tried to forget that I was hoping for the best so I didn't psych myself out and sabotage my luck in some way. And there was one day in particular that I noticed the film fanatic speaking a little more distraughtly than normal. He had extremely severe ADHD, and while it seems like the world is diagnosed with that in some way, shape, or form, this was to the point where if he didn't have his medication, there was no luck getting to him. But as he continued to have this quote-unquote unfortunate conversation, he mentioned my name, and there was some trouble with my application. Oh shit, I thought. I didn't get the room. I asked what was going on, and he reassured me that everything was fine. There just so happened to be someone there who wasn't all that thrilled about having me join the house. In fact, this person had taken the time to go into the office an attempt to get the HOA to decline my application, saying I didn't get along with anyone in the house and that I was a bad fit. Thankfully, because of the basketball fanatic, he helped straighten things out when he went in to pay his rent and was approached with the question of, hey, do Mikey Lott and the housemate get not get along? He responded with, uh, Mikey and the housemate have never met. A few days later, my application was accepted, and at a measly $250 a month, my anticipation of meeting this housemate skyrocketed. The summer passed, and I began with the help of my parents to move into the smallest room I had ever seen, let alone lived in. The basketball fanatic was kind enough to help us, while the film fanatic was installing a bug screen on the back door to keep out the hornets. No housemate. He was completely absent for a few hours until I identified his blue and red Honda Accord in the driveway. Or, according to him, navy and burnt orange. I stayed in the common area, just getting accustomed to the new environment, when he introduced himself with a kind of politeness I would describe as expectedly transactional. I began to get rides from him charitably, even when I elected to walk to school and I would occasionally join him for Ultimate Frisbee with other members of his church. He showed me his accomplishments and talked about them in a subtle grandiose, from the sound system in his car to the summer internship where he got to meet Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. This carried on for maybe a month until he finally came down to the basement where my room was and threw darts with me. Hey, we're doing Ultimate Frisbee again, he offered. Come on. Oh, I'd love to, I explained. 
but I've got to study for a quiz I've got tomorrow. No, he quietly demanded. You're coming with me to Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> Sorry, man, I repeated with a quiet decorum so as not to make a fuss. I have to study. <laughs> All right, he scoffed. He walked back upstairs and drove off without another word. Now, while he definitely seemed to have an agenda to being my answer to not having a car, he wasn't the only one. In fact, I was the only one in the house who didn't have a car. And while everyone was generous with their passenger seats, I spent the most time in the passenger seat of the Film Fanatic's Jeep Cherokee. The Film Fanatic had a knack for taking detours, even if you had somewhere urgent to go. This would be anything from his work, setting up and taking down events on campus, to going to a movie, to popping out to a random yard sale and looking at the potential items he could flip on eBay or whatever caught his eye and was free. This was the setting we experienced when he told me his past with a housemate. Originally, they used to be pretty good friends, which sounded typical of the film fanatic. He was something of a social butterfly. The entire house, actually, was something of an unofficial fraternity, based on the stories the film fanatic told me. But there was one day in December that they elected to bring the Christmas tree up. The film fanatic wanted it one way, the housemate wanted it another. The argument didn't seem to last long until the housemate stormed out of the house, steamrolled past the basketball fanatic, and only said three words to the unaware man as he was coming in to unload his groceries. Deal with him. Since then, the film fanatic stayed out of his way, and the housemate tried to figure out a way, really any way he could, to convince the HOA to kick him out. My favorite was when he tried to get him evicted for not doing his dishes. It actually got to the point where the HOA threatened to evict the housemate, which the housemate then countered with the threat of litigation. But the basketball fanatic, being the pacifist that he was, always advised both me and the film fanatic to just let it go. Whatever conflict we would cause, the housemate always figured out a way to amplify it tenfold. And for the most part, he stayed out of our way. Just like how we would stay out of his. The only interactions we had were if one of us walked into the house only to immediately go into our rooms, or to knock on his door at 5 in the morning to politely ask him to move his car so we could head to work. That year, both the Fanatics and I worked as front desk associates at Brinehead, the ski resort about an hour away from campus, and seeing that we were getting discounts on everything, being the young and most athletic we were ever going to get, and actually being required in some cases to take an hour break just to learn how to snowboard, it was the perfect winter job for college students. Until it got to negotiating time off for the holidays, of course. One morning in particular, we were in the heart of January, and I was handling the cash register for Brinehead's more advanced side of the resort, Giant Steps. I happened to get a text out of the blue from the housemate, the first time he reached out to me since I had moved in. I don't remember why he had my number, I'm sure there's a rational yet stupid reason for it, but he had sent me something along the lines of, hey, did you take my jacket? Keep in mind, I was shorter than him by a few inches, and he had a pretty good reach on me, so even if I did like the subject jacket, I couldn't wear it. No, haven't seen it, I responded. The less I had to give him, the less fuel there was for the fire. Well, it was stolen, and I know one of you did it. I didn't respond to the accusation as I didn't have the time nor the care to continue the conversation. I came home to discover that he had quote-unquote talked to and accused almost everyone in the house of stealing his jacket, and he was ready to find out who did it. 
Upon learning this, I let my temper get the best of me, and when he had his door open, a very rare occurrence, with his girlfriend lying in bed with him, I entered his closet, which was outside of his room, oddly enough, and pointed to every single article of clothing, jacket or otherwise, saying, Is this it? Oh, I'm sorry, is this it? Finally, he got so fed up, he snarked, No, I think I would know if I had a $200 biker jacket in my closet. I marched away in a huff. A biker jacket? I thought. He doesn't have a bike. Bitch probably doesn't know how to ride. A few weeks had passed, and the jacket drama had subsided. He still believed that one of us stole it, but we all just let him sulk in the privacy of his bedroom. I didn't hear anything else until my phone began to ring just as I was stepping out of my shower one afternoon. I wrapped a towel around my waist and wiped the steam off the screen so I could read the number. It was a 435 number, an area code that guaranteed to me it wasn't a scammer, and because it's a southern Utah number, I had assumed that it was someone I knew. So I picked it up. Hello? Hi, this is Officer Pulowski with the Cedar City Police Department. We wanted to reach out about a missing jacket and we were told you might know some information. Yep. Turns out, the jacket was expensive enough that the housemate could file a theft claim and hypothesized that someone in his house stole and pawned the jacket for some quick cash. The bitch of it was, there were five people who lived in that house, including me and him but he only gave the cops two people's information as they were the most likely to do so. Mine and the film fanatics. The most the film fanatic and I did was tell the cops the truth and file a harassment claim with the HOA. Nothing else came to pass, but for the housemate's sake, I purposely avoided him at all costs. Though, that's a little tough when you share the same class with him. But there was a saving grace to this class. Something that may have made him a fun partner in some projects and assignments. Self-Defense 101 But while the class was predominantly filled with women, the housemate and I weren't the only guys in that class. It was us and the film fanatic. Who had taken his shit for years compared to my taking his shit for months. Needless to say, we were on the brink of war and our midterm and final exams for the class were sparring matches. Was this too good to be true? You call the cops on me for a crime I didn't do and I get to beat the shit out of you and get an A because of it? The only thing I could see happening as a consequence of my logic is have him secretly be a weapon of mass destruction, almost murder me, and then I get an A for effort. Because we both knew we weren't going to hold back in the day to day, the film fanatic and I decided to be permanent sparring partners while the housemate worked with a different girl every time. Midterms came around and the housemate was nowhere to be found, so it only made sense that the film fanatic and I would fight each other. We were almost the same build down to the ounce. The only difference was he had roughly 4 or 5% less body fat than I did. We grappled for close to 10 minutes and neither one of us tapped, ultimately ending in a draw. We were both making the best progress we possibly could in that class, but it was clear we weren't satisfied. Not that we were bad sparring partners. We just wanted to attack someone in particular. So, you can imagine our bottled excitement when the housemate was here for the final exam. To make it fair, the instructor, who played ref, decided to put all the boys in a three-way free-for-all. 
film fanatic and I looked at each other with hesitant but eager eyes. That's when we made an unspoken pact not to overdo it. Maybe I assumed that, but that's what I had in mind as I grabbed a pair of MMA gloves. The three of us approached the mat with a hesitant guard, and the instructor yelled, GO! The film fanatic and I walked away from the center and just lightly struck each other, keeping our cool. And that's when I suddenly felt a strong jab land on the back of my head and jolt me forward. I turned around, saw the housemate staring back at me, and I thought, fuck the pact. That's when I kicked into gear, grabbed that son of a bitch's leg by the pants, took him down, rolled over, and began to swing my legs over as I clenched his head inward so I could put him in a triangle choke and wrap up the exam fast. He was landing hammer fist after hammer fist in a flurry, but I didn't care. I could feel them, but I was too enraged to care. Finally, the instructor stood us up, and then it was the film fanatic's turn. While I'm more technical and strategic as a grappler, the film fanatic was much stronger and more aggressive. Brazilian jiu-jitsu and high school wrestling, in a sense. Although it was more like a UFC match paired with the wrath of God, all those years of false accusations and petty claims to get the film fanatic evicted had finally come to a head as the film fanatic grabbed the housemate by the waist and lifted him clear off his feet. In the blink of an eye, the housemate was right side up, and then was upside down, and then he was pummeled into the mat and was not getting out anytime soon. You know, you can join in too, the instructor implied. Nah, I'm good, I immediately said as I stared at the two on the ground. The film fanatic looked up with the biggest smile on his face, and all I could see of the housemate were two bloodshot eyes looking back at me, pleading to me. This only went on for a few more seconds until the instructor called it off. The film fanatic and I walked away champions, and the housemate walked out with a face as red as his button-up shirt. Why he wore a button-up shirt to a sparring session, I will never know. But now you know it's not best to question the logic of this man. And he began to drink his water, trying not to shake violently. This was just the first of a handful of victories we finally got against the housemate. The second one actually involved our favorite $200 biker jacket. We were wrapping up a self-defense class one day, and I saw the housemate put on a pretty nice jacket, certainly a statement piece. This was of course before the final exam, so I approached him and kindly asked, did you find your jacket? Oh no, he said confidently, I just bought a new one. I never realized that you had to call the cops first before you get a new jacket. But that's not what actually happened. What actually happened, we later found out, was the girl that he was in bed with when I went through his closet had viciously broken up with him and demanded that he come back to her house to pick up all of his shit. He did so, and on his way out, found the jacket, picked it up, said, Oh, I thought my roommate stole this, and left with nothing else to add. Score two for us. But no matter what, sometimes you don't always get the last laugh. The end of the year came around, and the housemate of the film fanatic had graduated, which meant they had to move out. The housemate was very adamant that whatever he paid for, he was taking with him, even if he didn't tell us. We learned this as our internet had stopped working, and so we asked him if he took the router. And he responded with, Yeah, it was 40 bucks at Radio Shack. See ya. He then got in his car, drove back to Idaho, and we never saw him again. 
The next morning, the basketball fanatic and I woke up to a less than jovial film fanatic. In fact, he was downright pissed. You see, I call him the film fanatic because he did everything in his power to turn the basement into a movie theater. Mainly, buying retro movie theater seats and setting up a film projector whose price had been split evenly between himself, the basketball fanatic, a former member of the house, and the housemate. That morning, we all woke up to discover that the coveted film projector was gone. Nothing but a dust-free mark on the shelves where it used to be, and zip ties on the ground that were clipped and cables unplugged. We had made a few calls to a few friends to figure out what the hell was going on, and we discovered that even though he left in a hurry, the housemate kept his key to the house. And at two in the morning, he and his brother snuck back into the house, cut the zip ties, and took the projector. Because I was the only one who lived in the house at the time for the summer, I texted him and demanded that he return it. He countered me with the claim that he had bought it and we loaned it from him. So not only was it rightfully his, but we apparently owed him money. I screenshot the conversation to the other guys, and the film fanatic shot back with what I can only describe as... Years of condensed rage spewing out in written form. He went off on the housemate, even going so far as to say his parents failed his parents, and to raise someone like him was embarrassing. It was harsh, but euphorically cathartic for everyone in the house. But the more I thought about this story and these experiences, the more I began to feel a feeling that I wasn't expecting. I began to feel bad almost like I was being a bully. But I thought, you can't bully the person that's bullying you. The guy stole property after he called the cops on you for theft you didn't commit for God's sake. But I still felt like I was in the wrong. In fact, years later, I was trying to tell this story on my previous podcast, Quarantine Campfire, and not only did I not do so, but it was the last episode I ever tried to record as I wound up discontinuing the podcast entirely because I felt like I wasn't offering lessons more than I was just ranting. And it really bothered me. I thought about the sparring session over and over again, and I began to realize that the film fanatic and I didn't stand up for ourselves. We just took turns beating someone up who clearly did not have the skill set or the fight experience that we did because we were in a setting that could let us get away with it. It made me feel gross. And as I contemplated on this, I began to hear Ted Lasso talk about being curious and not judgmental. And it hit me. I regretted the way I acted because I never took the time to really be curious about the housemate. Just judgmental. Did he make it easy to be judgmental towards him instead of being curious? Well, when your first encounter with someone, even if it's indirectly, is them trying to get your housing application declined because he didn't want anybody else other than his brother in the house, the answer becomes a non-reluctant yes. In fact, I'm not that kind of therapist, but if I was, I would put good money on him being a legitimate narcissist. But I started to think about what kind of experiences he must have had to see the world and act in it the way he did. And maybe he didn't have any of those kinds of experiences, and that made him an asshole or entitled, but I don't know. What I do know is the more I change my perspective to something a little more objective, and allow him to be human in my mind, 
the more I think that there's genuine opportunity for empathy. Is that easier said than done? Absolutely. In fact, it took me almost five years to apply that towards him. But I think about the stories that I've heard about the housemates since. As the tales go, his beloved Honda Accord was totaled, which he quickly replaced with another douchey-looking car, and he had put an engagement ring on the Facebook marketplace. While I do personally believe in karmic debt, and that this was a lot of it being due, I began to think about if I was in his shoes. If I lost my car and a very dear relationship to me didn't work out, what would I do? How would I feel? And I would have wished someone was willing to be there for me, despite what I had done. While I don't advocate being kind at your own risk or integrity, I do advocate the idea that taking the time to understand people is the best way to have the best connection with them in the future. I don't want anything to do with a housemate, and I'm sure he doesn't want anything to do with me. But at least this was the takeaway that I can use for the future when I stumble upon people like him. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you, and if you have any interest in trying hypnotherapy, feel free to reach out at mklotprohobbyist on Instagram, and I would love to help in any way I can. Thank you as always, and until next time, here's to finding your way.